This episode is supported by Pop M, a unique shop located in Littleton, New Hampshire, and by ICE, the Institute of Culinary Education. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Welcome to Why Food Podcast, the podcast about entrepreneurs and innovators who have left former careers to start in the food and beverage hospitality business. Uh, I'm your co-host, Jenny Dorsey, and this week, unfortunately, we have no Ethan with us. Ethan is in Turkey hunting for spices, but he will be back next week, no fear. Um, But today, I'm super, super excited to introduce our guest, Lauren Brill. She is the founder and CEO of Sweet Lauren's, a better-for-you cookie company, Lauren, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. So um, I ask everyone the same kind of question. We've been changing it up a little bit this season. But could you tell us, what was your aha moment where you knew, A, you wanted to be in food, and B, also cookies were going to be your thing? So I think there were a couple different moments that led up to like the real aha moment. Like, there's th- this is the only thing I can do with my life. Um, <laughs> yeah. I'm just like so passionate about it. Uh, I was a yoga instructor when I was um, before college, so I was I started getting into health and wellness. And then, just as a job to make money in the summer, I started working for Levan Bakery, mm, which yes, yes, is, is you know, and I I loved the two women who ran it, and um, I that's really where I think I fell in love with baking. Of course, for me to work there, it was just a fun job, but people would line you know out the yes. door, and I just saw how people lit up because of a warm cookie and it was just magic. And I was like, how do I bottle this? Like this is what I could spend my life doing, just kind of spreading happiness around. And um, so I think that was like the first big aha moment of like, I really love how happy baked goods make people. And when they're warm and fresh and made with such care, it's, it's, I've never seen people happier. And that smell. Exactly. And when it's warm out of the oven, that smell and the texture of like chocolate melting and I mean, it's euphoria, right? Mm -hmm. So I, I just saw that over and over again. And I was like, man, there's something really amazing going on here that I, that I want to figure out how to bottle. And then, um, really what happened was, I have a huge sweet tooth. And so I got sick. I was diagnosed with cancer at a young age and right after I graduated college. And thankfully, I was totally cured, but it changed my life. I started to study nutrition and I have such a sweet tooth that I was like, there's nothing I want to eat anymore. Like mm-hmm. I, there's, there's nothing in a supermarket that's like really delicious and I like all the ingredients. And there weren't even bakeries that like, you know, were easy to go to that had what I was looking for. So... I started to make my own recipes out of this personal need. And when I finally made, you know, a warm chocolate chip cookie that I was like, this is so delicious. I'd served my own problem and it was kind of my own hobby. But the the real big aha moment was when I would just give them out to friends and family because I was making so many, you know, so many batches all the time. 
and I saw how other people started to freak out. Uh-huh. And everyone I met would get super excited about the idea of a better for you cookie and that the taste actually tasted really homemade and unprocessed and that was so refreshing. And so that was my aha moment of like, oh my God, like I could marry what I'm just so passionate about and what I love doing with a true need in the market. People are starving for better for you food. And if I can show them that it can exist and taste better, you know, then why wouldn't I do that? Why wouldn't I do that? Like I get to do what I love every day and and solve a real problem. Did you anticipate going into baking at all, even though you were at Levon, um, like before being diagnosed, did you have another career path you were going to pursue? No, that, that was the thing. I was trying to find what I wanted to do. I, again, I, I was a yoga instructor on the side cause I loved yoga and it, it was kind of my first foray into being an entrepreneur. You know, I had my own kind of side hustle, but it didn't, it, it didn't scratch. It only scratched the surface of what I really felt like I was meant to do. And again, baking instinctively, I was just attracted to it cause it was just happy. It was fun. Um, you know, it, it was just, I could get behind that, but If you told me I was going to have a cookie dough company, you know, (laughs) when I was, you know, in college, I'd be like, you're crazy. Um, I think to me, it's, you know, it's not about cookie dough. It's, it's, it's about clean eating and disrupting the market and creating products that are better tasting and better for you and really competing with the big guys on the shelf that um, have had a monopoly for a really long time and have made food not the way that I want to raise my kids one day and not the way I want to eat. And so for me, it's, it's our first product of many, but that's what I get excited about is creating food that makes people incredibly happy and feel safe and is delicious and is good for you. When you were diagnosed with cancer, um, and you started making your own food and being more careful about what you were going to put in your body, what were the, some of the things that you were looking for and kind of as a nature of like ruling things out, things that you realized you couldn't eat while going into the grocery stores? So I really just started to, I think with yoga and everything as well, I started to meditate a lot more too. I just became really conscious of how food affected my body. So I think everyone, you know, everyone needs to listen to themselves and what feels right for their own body. I don't think there's one magic, you know, diet for everyone. But for me, what I really started to crave and what my body really started to like reject was anything, you know, high, high sugar and processed Mm -hmm. and artificial, like was disgusting to me. It just, it had no, it weighed me down. It gave me a headache. It didn't give me energy. And I really looked at food. Like I need to preserve my energy. I need to feed myself all the things that just make me make me and all my cells like super happy, have energy, feel good. And food really should be nutrition and it should also taste delicious. So I started to study at the Natural Gourmet Institute um, and take their, they're very focused on whole food ingredients. And I was just exposed to healthier oils, um, healthier flours, staying away from white flour, like really getting into interesting whole grain flours. Mm-hmm and sea salt instead of iodized table salt and just looking at as whole food ingredients as possible and realizing all the micronutrients that are in them and just that how much really better tasting and better for you whole food ingredients are. So it was a combination of starting to study nutrition, taking baking classes, and also just listening to my body. And I craved greens and and just whole, you know, real food. Yeah. And so it was really easy for me to make like delicious salads and a ton of interesting grilled vegetables. And, um, you know, I still craved meat on occasion and and but so I could eat health healthily that way, but it was still like the sweet tooth part. I was like, what? 
I don't know my options. Yeah, I'm not craving like a a big cake or a slice of, you know, something just really processed. And I'm not craving a conventional cookie. Like Mm -hmm. to me, that's just so empty. There's no nutrition. And so that's really where it stemmed from. I just was like, there's, there really should be a better for you, better tasting, whole food based cookie. Why is that so hard? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Can you tell us though what the composition of a sweet lord, well at least your first initial batch, how you went about making it and what was in it? Sure. So it's definitely, um, I've iterated the recipe over time. It has changed so much but the concept has always been the same. As few ingredients as whole food based as possible. So um, from the beginning I stayed away from dairy and so just using healthier oils. Um, We use a sustainably palm now and we have used coconut oil before as well and then a combination you know no white refined flour using a combination of whole grain flours Um, so at the beginning it was a combination of oat flour and whole wheat flour but over time um, I've made the product gluten-free and so now it's a combination of oat flour and potato starch and tapioca starch and so um, again just using whole food based flours and staying away from the conventional ingredients. We use sea salt. We use the really high quality European dark chocolate. Um, and, and what about sweeteners? And so sweeteners, I've tried every sweetener out there (laughs) and, and we use now just a pure cane sugar and molasses. Mm. And for me, that's just, it gives the perfect texture of a cookie that people are looking for, and it gives that real taste and satisfaction of the sweetness you're looking for. Um, and so, you know, I tried maple syrup at the beginning. I tried stevia at the beginning. I tried agave. Nothing gave, nothing mimicked a conventional kind of tasting cookie, and mm-hmm. that's what I realized people really wanted. You know, this when I started to turn Sweet Orange into a real business, it, it wasn't about me anymore. It was how do I satisfy this, like, urge and sweet tooth in as many people as possible across the country. And so I really listen to our customers and fans and really what most people want is, you know, the same taste of that cookie they grew up with, right? but better for you. And when you started Sweet Lawrence, did you think you were going to do cookie doughs or you wanted to do cookies? What was the idea? So... I had this concept of Sweet Lawrence, like a a better for you baking brand, clean ingredient baking. And I did not know it would be cookie dough at the beginning. I actually started writing a business plan to kind of suss out the options because I was like, oh, I could create a bakery. Mm -hmm. Um, I could create baked cookies. We could create a baking mix. There were so many different angles to just start. Um, actually what got me into cookie dough was two things. One, I, I was making cookie dough a lot because friends and family would be buying it from me and asking for it. <laughs> and they would say, Hey, I'm, I'm like having people over tomorrow. So can I just actually get the dough? Right. Because when it's warm and fresh, it's the best. So I know if you, if you bake it right now and I serve it tomorrow, it's just not, not going to taste same. as good. And I was delighted to do cookie dough because it's one less step. Like I just make the dough, you right. got it. And then I, I know how good a warm cookie tastes. So I thought that dough was actually brilliant. And there was no healthy cookie dough out there. What so, are the options before Sweet Lawrence came along? I mean, the the two big monopolies on the shelf are, are, are Nestle and you know Pillsbury, mm-hmm. and uh, so yeah. and so those are the two biggest companies that uh, have really had market share for forever since cookie dough was invented. Um, and so Sweet Lawrence is now actually the number three cookie dough on the shelf. Oh my nationally. gosh! Yeah, so it's really exciting. Um, and it's showing that there's a huge need for yeah. better for you products, right? And so just because we grew up on those brands doesn't mean it's A, the only option out there and or B, that, you know, that there can be something better coming along. So 
I think with Sweet Lawrence, it was, you know, when I started to grow it, it, it you know, I started to just, I, you know, I, I, w- I w- did this business plan and I started to suss out how much financially it would cost to start a bakery mm-hmm. and or create a product. And if my my goal was really to reach as many people as possible. And so the idea of a bakery was actually quite overwhelming. Like I didn't want to be stuck someplace seven days a week yeah. and only reach, you know, New Yorkers. And so I was like, I want something that gives me freedom and that can reach as many people as possible. And that really would mean a product. And then I got a meeting with Whole Foods way before I even had a packaged product. And it was really that meeting that was the turning point because we talked about shelf life of a baked cookie mm-hmm. and I didn't want a crispy cookie. I wanted, I wanted, our, I, I just saw how people reacted to a warm gooey cookie mm-hmm. and there was no way to have a warm gooey cookie, have shelf life, you know? So, and the buyer at Whole Foods the next day called me and was like, we've never tasted something so good. And I love the concept of cookie dough. No one's really done that before. So, um, and it gave it a longer shelf life. So, and so for the Whole Foods buyer, I mean, do they suggest what you what they want or it was totally you go in there, you present the product? So this is, you know, five years ago. Whole Foods has definitely changed, you know, since then. But, um, you know, I presented cookies. I came to him with this meeting of like 12 of my favorite, you know, flavors that I'd created. What were and, the flavors? And I can't even remember anymore. But I mean, <laughs> I, had, I had like something called the Nutter Better, which was like a Nutter Butter, but it had no butter in it. So we called it a Nutter Butter. You know, so it's like a peanut butter cookie sandwich. And um, most of the flavors we have now even, I mean, I had a sugar cookie. I had a peanut butter chocolate, you know, a fudgy brownie, a chocolate chunk, oatmeal cranberry. I, but I, I just did so many iterations. Mm-hmm. And I really wanted to get his perspective of what the supermarket was looking for or what he saw demand being for what, you know, where was the white space? Because my goal with Sweet Lawrence was never to create a me too brand. Mm -hmm. You know, it was always what's, what is missing in the market? How can I fill a need that hasn't been done yet? And so, you know, when we looked around and, you know, I could have, you know, cause it was, at this, at this point when I had the recipes, I could have launched baking mixes. I could have worked on a shelf stable baked cookie. And that might have been easier. Or done dough. Totally. And I, I mean, I think the velocity would have been higher. You know, mm-hmm. like if you do a grab and go product, you can kind of sell that any anywhere. When you have a product that needs to actually be baked off, it takes more time. You know, it's a it has to be kept refrigerated, all these other things. But again, I was looking for the white space. And the white space was in dough and the way to create a product that um, was the highest quality was dough because then everyone could get it warm and fresh. And I really just saw the response of people. If I put a baked cookie next to cookie dough, people's eyes like popped out of their head <laughs> when they saw the dough. And I was like, there's something really special here. And it's bringing people back to their childhood. And it's it's probably America's favorite food, a warm chocolate chip cookie. Yeah, with milk. <laughs> and, and so I get it. It's just, it's universal. It's human. We all want this. And everyone's trying to feel better and eat cleaner and we're finding out about more dietary restrictions that we're all going yes. through or that our kids have and there's nut allergies on the rise and so over time I just made the recipe as clean and clean and clean as possible while always preserving the most delicious homemade taste because I saw that nuts were a big issue so our products are all nut free now mm-hmm. I gluten became a you know not just for gluten intolerant people but people are just starting to stay away from gluten you know and grains and so was that very hard for the changing the production process to essentially eliminate all of these things well so I launched I launched Sweet Lawrence with a couple flavors that were um whole grain and non-dairy and then it's actually crazy about a, a year a little more than a year ago um because of the demand um 
I launched our first gluten-free, vegan, nut-free line. And it was just chocolate chunk, one flavor. Mm -hmm. And the response was so incredible. Like, I can't even explain the amount of emails and calls we get from people around the country um, being, you know, just so happy that they finally have something that, you know, maybe they've never even eaten a warm cookie in the last 10 years because there's been nothing for them. I mean, our products are now sold in, in every state. So, you know, we're in all Publix and Kroger and... Harris Teeter and Wegmans. That's and, huge. And so um, Stop and Shop and um, it's 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 awesome. Thank you. You know, it's excellent. It's been a lot of hard work getting it across the country, but that was always our mission, right? So, you know, really to be an option on the shelf. So I think when we, we saw the rise of the gluten-free, vegan, nut-free line and just seeing that there's just very limited shelf space out there, mm-hmm. why create two separate lines? Like No one could tell that our gluten-free, vegan, nut-free line was tasted gluten-free. It just tastes delicious and homemade. So we, um, this year actually, a couple months ago, have now just made all of our products that way. Oh my gosh. Because I've been able to make all of the recipes taste just the same. And now it just can feed more people. Now we're creating really a universal cookie dough so that anyone who wants to eat non-GMO and clean, here you go. Anyone, you know, if you have someone with a nut allergy or egg allergy or dairy allergy or gluten, like, and someone at the dinner table is always, there's always always someone. There's always one person. (laughs) You know, at least someone. It's just, it's just food we all can enjoy. And, and so why not? Um, I mean, we had our sound engineer eat some cookies before we started the episode and he gobbled them up. Um, um, (laughs) He came back for seconds before we started. (laughs) Uh, Can you tell us, so when you first started making the iterations of cookies, just how long it took you to get kind of to that that state where you felt satisfied or maybe you're still (laughs) trying to feel satisfied. I think a lot of our listeners are aspiring uh, entrepreneurs and it is hard when you have this baby, it's your concept and you want it to just be perfect. Like when do you know you can actually take it out to market even though maybe it's not 100%. It's true. It's a good, it's a good lesson that I definitely learned that you do have to get to the point where like, this is sellable, this is ready to go, but there's, I'm still perfecting the product. Mm -hmm. It's crazy. You would think like we're done. I never want to change it, but you know, there's new types of sea salt we're finding or vanilla or chocolate. And like, I will always continue to find the best ingredients to make the product even better and more sustainable for the environment and all those things. So, um, it took years, though. I think, like, like I'm talking thousands of, of <laughs> batches. I really am, and I don't say that to intimidate anyone, but it's the truth. I mean, the only reason this has grown is because I've loved it so much and had such passion and hustled my butt off. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I don't know how else to be so real. It's, I mean, I've been working almost seven days a week, only until, like, the last year or so, you know, now that I have an amazing team, but... You took like one vacation. <laughs> I, yeah, I've I've really had to be on, super on, and it ha- Sweet Lawrence had legs of its own from the very beginning. So it wasn't ever slow. Like every day, there was always something kind of big to do and move forward. So um, really, though, you know, Sweet Lawrence, it's not like I just had the idea of Sweet Lawrence and then started creating these recipes. It's been such an iteration. You know, when I was. 22, I was diagnosed, and by 23, thankfully, totally cured. But I started baking during that year and that's when, you know, this little, I felt like the secret door opened up where I started to see the, all these natural ingredients and be like, wait a minute, these are weird to other people. And now coconut oil is cool and all, but yeah, like, a little bit more uh, like 10 years ago, like no one, no one was <laughs> talking about that, you know, unless you were like a super hippie. And I always felt like, you know, but I loved all these really clean natural ingredients. It just felt like they weren't mainstream yet. And but the taste was superior and the health was superior. So I couldn't understand why not. And so 
Um, you know, so I think, I think it took about four years of just really having this be a hobby and through those four years. So it's not like every day I was making a recipe, but it was consistent. Like every week it was on my mind. Like maybe if I do this different, maybe I do this different, maybe this flavor. Um, and so, you know, and I went beyond cookies, I had cakes, I had brownies. I mean, I had, I have have binders of recipes (laughs) at this point. But I, what I did become was an expert at these ingredients. So I really know, I create all the recipes still. I really understand what customers and people are looking for in their dessert and sweet treat and also how these ingredients play together. Yep. And so, I mean, I can always learn more. I'm, you know, by no means, you know, know everything, but I really understand it now. So it's very easy for me to create a new recipe, um, a new flavor, things like that. So I, you know, for a couple of years, it was just my hobby. And I think when you can make a business out of your hobby, that's the greatest gift, right? Because I just, Again, it was therapy, I think, a little bit, which baking is. It's kind of meditative and therapy. It made people so happy when they ate them that it was really great after going through that hard part of my life to be in something that was just very positive and joyful and kind of contagious. Yeah. And and then also to... you know, really see a need in the market and be like, wait a minute, I could marry, you know, this, this passion of mine with something that actually could have a really big positive uh, effect on the industry and also create an amazing business for myself, which I've, I'm an entrepreneur. I love business. And so it kind of checked off all those boxes. So I am going to propose that we do a little cookie tasting before we go into our halfway point. Please. Um, So can you tell us what we have today and what I should start with? And also tell us a little bit about your new cookie, like edible dough dough. Exactly. So we are, we have four flavors of place and bake cookie dough. So they can be found refrigerated in most supermarkets. You can go to our website, sweetlaurens.com, S-W-E-E-T-L-O-R-E-N-S. And... Um, you know, when it's 12 cookie discs in that package, so you can make one or two even in your toaster oven, which is very portion controlled cookie dough. <laughs> and we have chocolate chunk, of course, um, is the number one, but then right behind it's fudgy brownie is this like almost brownie flavor in a cookie, really rich, um, really fudgy. And then we have a sugar cookie, which is delicious on its own, but you also could put sprinkles on it or decorate it or make it into shapes. So it's really fun for kids too and also just making recipes you can push into like a pie crust to make like a Mm. you know sugar cookie crust for you know whatever filling you'd like and then we have an oatmeal cranberry that is a huge fan favorite and really tastes like homemade and just scrumptious and there's some cinnamon in there so those are our place and bakes and then we've just launched um, due to popular demand um, in a jar this edible cookie dough yes and it's ridiculously delicious <laughs> and addictive and you have to try that. Um, so it's edible cookie dough. It comes in a jar so it's easy to scoop. You can take like a spoonful or two a night or whatever you want. And you can also bake it as well. So if you want to eat some raw but also bake some, um, you can make a cookie into any size you want with that jar. How do you make it so that you can actually eat the dough? I mean, usually it seems the issue with cookie dough is that there's eggs in it, but there's no eggs in this. So is there any other like secret formulation? Yes, there's a couple of things. So the two things you want to look out for mainly um, when you're consuming, um, you know, dough raw is the chance of there being some sort of bacteria or E. coli or salmonella. And so you can get that um, in eggs or actually in the flour. Hmm. So it's wherever moist- moisture is, um, you know, bacteria can kind of grow. So we use a heat-treated flour. We're using oat flour. Which, so it's completely heat-treated. So you can eat it raw. Um, and then we don't use egg because our products are mm-hmm. vegan and dairy-free. And so 
um, so, you know, our edible dough, um, we get specially tested to make sure there's no chance of anything just so that we feel really great, you know, selling it as an edible product because we know everyone loves to eat dough raw. (laughs) It's it's not a secret. Everyone's obsessed with eating cookie dough raw. I'm eating the oatmeal cranberry right now. Yes. And it is like, it's just so chewy. Like that's my favorite thing about cookies. I was never a crispy cookie fan. I totally agree with you. Right? Isn't that just like homemade delicious? Mm-hmm. I think that's the that's the goal is that even though we know people are busy, we know people want convenient food, It's it takes a lot of time and it's messy and it's actually really hard to make these recipes from scratch mm-hmm. and taste make delicious. Well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so with our product, you know, you can just bake flawless cookies that taste really homemade, um, you know, within 10 minutes or 15 minutes. So... You know, that's the goal. Even though it's packaged, it's not, it's, it's, it's good fast food, right? It doesn't feel packaged. Exactly. So we're going to take a short break. And when we come back, we'll talk more about Sweet Lawrence, how Lauren has been able to get Sweet Lawrence into all types of retail stores nationwide. Stay tuned. From your chalice just stand by my head to you. Cause kicking myself would be a waste of bruises. And you won't allow that can be. I know it will get This episode is brought to you by Pop M, a unique shop teeming with vibrant colors and wash in pop art, located in Littleton, New Hampshire. Its alternative cafe marries healthy and fresh with luscious and decadent treats. At Pop M, indie brands and local artists mingle, bringing quality and hot off the press style. Follow Pop M at popm.nh. This episode is also brought to you by the Institute of Culinary Education, a career cooking school with culinary arts, pastry and baking arts, restaurant and culinary management, and hospitality management programs, plus more than 1,500 recreational food and beverage classes a year. Earn a diploma in 6 to 12 months at the New York or L.A. campus. Land an externship in the top cities for restaurants and hospitality and find your culinary voice. Learn more at ice.edu. Welcome back. This is Why Food, and I'm your co-host, Jenny Dorsey. Um, I'm here today with uh, Lauren Brills, founder and CEO of Sweet Lauren's, and we just ate a few cookies. We're going to try the cookie dough in a little bit, but I want to talk about how you've been able to get Sweet Lauren's into so many of these retail chains um, across the U.S. A lot of these places that otherwise don't have healthy options are in food deserts. Um, how were you able to kind of get them excited about the product understand what your mission is and like feel that their audience would have and want a need for your product so I feel really lucky um it was a combination of things but about two a little more than two years ago um I you know Sweet Lauren's we were finally ready I feel like we had our 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 amazing flavors ready to go and I um actually met Hamdi, the founder of Chobani, and um, a couple of amazing people on his team, and they were so supportive of me, such great mentors, and you know they're like, why don't you pitch Publix? And there's no slotting, which is, for people that don't know, yeah. you know, um, 
the supermarket industry is quite archaic and it's also incredibly expensive. Um, most supermarkets charge huge amounts. I'm talking like hundreds of thousands of dollars, um, potentially, you know, and less um, for certain businesses and things are changing now. But you know, just to be on the shelf, it's to own that real estate. And so that's the way that supermarket businesses have been run for so long, which is part of the reason why the, the supermarket industry hasn't changed in so long because mm -hmm. the big companies are the only ones who can really afford to yeah. pay for that. So things are definitely changing and that's super exciting. So many great natural companies have um, paved the way here and we're, you know, clean is the future now. But a couple years ago, we were still at the, you know, still at the beginning of this, you know, and we still have a long way to go. And so, um, because of their suggestion, um, I went, I, I pitched Publix. They actually just responded immediately um, through an email, and we're like, "Come meet with us in a month." And so, I came down to Florida and met with the buyer. And, you know, I think the story of Sweet Lawrence really resonates with people. And they see that there's a millennial mom out there who um, is, is asking for products like this. Yep. And they are trying to find producers that are creating a product that makes it easy to solve their needs. So um, I worked really hard to find a factory that could produce our, our cookie dough in the same type of packaging as the big guys. So it, it just fit that shelf. The customer was already educated on, you know, what to look for yeah. and that it was an easy swap out. Um, you know, I, I made the price point, you know, as accessible as possible. And I hired a great, you know, team behind us so that we had the experience to handle someone like a Publix. So... I think that combination of me just really telling the story, getting super passionate and inspired, um, making it as easy as possible for them to say yes. I had done so much work to make the product, you know, such a plug-in product. And then really it comes down to taste. I think, you know, we sent them a ton of samples of our cookie dough and they really give it out to all of their employees and people working there and they get to decide, you know, would they, they're all customers of supermarkets right. too. And would they buy this, you know, or is it too niche? Is it to, and you know, I think overwhelmingly people were like, this is amazing. This is clean. This is homemade. I feel better feeding this to my kid than something else. Thank God there's another option. Thank God you're reinventing this category. You're the only one really. And so, um, thankfully we got into Publix and that gave us some more exposure. And then again, I, I sent samples, um, Kroger was the next supermarket we got into. Um, but it's a funny story how we got in. I, I sent samples to someone in Connecticut or in Cincinnati who, was next door neighbors to someone who worked at Kroger, <laughs> you know, and I had no idea that happened, but she, you know, he shared the samples with her and she freaked out because she was like, oh, my son doesn't eat healthy and he's obsessed with these cookies. And I feel so much better giving it to him because he only needs, it's whole green. So there's more fiber in it. So you just don't need as many. Yeah. And so you're just satisfied Beautiful. after like one or two and so, you know, you don't, you can have three or whatever, but you don't need to eat like 20 to get feel full, mm -hmm. um, which is the opposite with a lot of conventional cookies that are really white flour based and have no fiber. And so you don't ever get satisfied because you're not really full. You feel like you can eat the whole thing. You yeah. Know? You're never satiated with actually like, yes, yeah, so yeah. you just think you're going to eat more and that'll satiate you, but it's actually just because it's like empty ingredients. So, um, so she, she's the reason she was like, I need a meeting with her. And so all of a sudden I got this meeting without even trying to get a meeting <laughs> with Kroger and then you know, I got a meeting with actually the private label department, but then um, we weren't interested in that because Sweet Lawrence is a brand and we stand for, you know, yeah. a certain, um, you know, we have a story and a recipe that's uniquely ours. And so then I got a meeting with the, the real buyer and 
and I did the same thing. You know, I was telling them we're already launching in Publix. Um, we're ready. We're set up for national distribution. Um, we're going to grow the category. And I think that was really exciting to them because they saw that sales are actually declining for a lot of conventional products mm -hmm. and it's an issue. And so if we can actually bring people back to the cookie dough section, because who doesn't love cookies? Like right. cookies aren't going away. Everyone wants them, especially if you have a family or if you have a big sweet tooth, it's like a great thing to have on hand to satisfy your sweet tooth with. And the reason why the cookie dough category, you know, wasn't getting so much traction is because it wasn't solving, you know, the needs and desires of the millennial customer. Right. And so if we're creating a product that brings people back here, um, it's a win-win for all of us. Mm -hmm. And you talk about uh, when you were able to actually get into some of these big chains, you had to massively ramp up your volume. And I think a lot of uh, entrepreneurs, smaller food businesses, when they get that yes from Whole Foods, it's super exciting, but what are they going to do now? You know, they've been making batches of 100, maybe a few thousand, but suddenly you have orders coming in for tens of thousands. Um, like, do you go to the co-packer route? Like, how do you even figure out the next step? So from the very beginning with Sweet Lawrence, I always had it co-packed. Mm -hmm. I never wanted to produce the product myself because, um, well, first of all, it was a one-woman show at, for the first couple of years anyway, so there's just no way I could physically have done all that. But also, you know, cookie dough requires um, very special machinery. It has to be the way I wanted it to be packaged where it had discs in the package. Mm -hmm. You can't do that by hand. This is all machinery that has to weigh everything out. Um, and also you want as sanitary as possible because um, it's cookie dough. People I know are going to, you know, eat some raw and bake it <laughs> off. And, and I just knew that um, that's the way I wanted to go. Plus, um, as we started to grow, the, the goal is always to be able to be able to ship nationally and to be able to handle what the highest volume possible. And um, that would mean just finding a co-packer as a great partner. So, um, you know, I, I've, I've had to switch to a couple different co-packers. I started with a very small one and we basically outgrew them because they couldn't do all the things we wanted. And then yep. found another one, outgrew them because they couldn't do all the things we wanted. And and um, Was it hard to find one that would do the cookies the way that you wanted them to? I mean, I have worked with some co-packers in the past and it's like, some of them are, have a system that is already, you know, ingrained in them and they want to swap out for maybe a less expensive ingredient. Like, what, what was that process like? It's a real process. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you think about it from their angle, you know, they're doing, they're trying to create efficiencies, right? Mm -hmm. So if they're already ordering a certain type of chocolate or flour or whatever, the, the most efficient thing would be for a new customer to be using the same ingredients they're already bringing in, Right. right? Um, that didn't work for me. There was no recipe out there that was exactly like Sweet Lauren's. So I couldn't expect a co-packer to have all the ingredients. So I've always handpicked our ingredients and always weighed the things that are most important to me. So for instance, you know, they're already bringing in sea salt I, I, and I love their sea salt. Great. You know, I don't need to bring in another sea salt to right. cause extra expense, but certain ingredients that didn't meet my standards, like maybe the chocolate had dextrose in it or something, mm -hmm. you know, weird. I, I wouldn't allow that. I would happily make sure we source our own. So um, I think the way to get around that is to A, show that you're going to have big volumes. And so by the time we were in some big accounts, you know, it was enough volume that a co-packer would be like, okay, I'm, I'm willing to buy this. You already have enough movement. Yep. Um, I think the other thing is you really have to show why you're different and be passionate and get them excited about it. And what's what was great about our product was, you know, I would give these you know, when I found our co-packer, I would, you know, bake off a sample for them and, you know, they'd be smiling because they'd be so happy. They're like, this is the best gluten-free cookie I've <laughs> ever had, you know? They're like eating it while on the line. Yeah, <laughs> no, like they all eat them all, like all the time and it's the best compliment. And so I was like, you know, and I, always, I promised, you know, even though we were still small, I promised them that we were going to more than double every year. And I, you know, I just, 
I could see the future of Sweet Lawrence and I was just confident in it. And, um, and so you have to get their buy-in. They have to believe in you. They have to, and then over time, it's still negotiation. You know, there's more equipment we want. There's more things. And it's, it's always going to be that conversation of, you know, we can bring the volume if you can create the product we're looking for. Right. And mm-hmm. so that's how you create your partnership. And what about supply chains? I mean, that is a complicated situation when you're distributing nationally. Can you talk about how you first approach that? How, if that's changed over time, has it gone easier with economies of scale oh, at all? Oh man, what a complicated, <laughs> you know, I didn't realize when I was going to start um, a food business that it wouldn't just be creating a great product. It would be creating a great recipe, creating great packaging, finding a great co-packer, yep. finding great logistics, um, and figuring out, you know, being a great salesperson to get it on the shelf and then being a great marketer to get it off the shelf. I mean, it's, it's, it's a lot of things, yeah. you know, yeah. we're not just selling one thing. So definitely a learning process. I didn't know any, anything about this at the beginning. Um, thankfully, you know, our VP of sales had huge experience. So she, you know, she could really be helpful in terms of how to set up warehouses across the country that were close to, um, you know, the big supermarkets we were in. And, you know, we've moved things around. The way we started two years ago is not how it is today. So mm-hmm. I think always analyzing efficiencies, always seeing what's out there. Our product has to be kept refrigerated and cold. So that's, you, a challenge. that's another challenge. It's super expensive to ship a refrigerated product. But again, I believe in real high quality food that doesn't have preservatives. And so that's you know, that's what we're doing to build our brand. Um, and people are willing to pay for that because they really um, now know what it's so important, what you put in your body. How do you analyze feedback and how, whether it's, you know, actual data from the different stores on what's moving, what's not moving, as well as how do you take into account the qualitative feedback that you're getting, emails, calls from people who want this or that. Um, as as many food entrepreneurs know, there's always been one person who's like, I want this and this and this and this, but it's only 1% of your customer base. So how do you balance those things? Yeah, I think it's it's just an exercise in, in taking it all in and having a really good team around you to analyze all these things together. So, you know, unfortunately or fortunately, you know, we can't be everything to everyone. Yep. You know, and you just, in business, you just got to pick who you are and what you are and what's the biggest opportunity and what makes you feel the best and what you're most passionate about. So um, I think it's a combination. I love that our fans are so communicative. I mean, we get emails and calls and messages on Instagram and Facebook all the time. And people are very vocal about new flavors they want to see or recipes that they make with our cookie dough. And they, you know, they send in pictures and of, you know, what they've created with their cookie dough or their family enjoying it. And so I think it's really important to see how our product is genuinely used by our consumers. It's very interesting for me to see that. And then it's also really important for me to hear what what's still missing for them in the market because it gives me ideas on what's next. Yeah. I mean, there's so many other products we could launch into. We don't plan on being cookie dough, you know, forever. And so um, that's really important to hear. I mean, the whole reason why I created the product to be kind of free from, you know, nuts and egg and being plant-based and gluten, you know, was really because customer demand. There was enough people um, just showing me that there weren't good options on the shelf. And so why not create a product that, you know, could serve more people, right? And so I wouldn't have known that if they didn't feel comfortable communicating. Um, And then I think with retailers, it's hard to get the data. You can buy data. It's very expensive. Mm, Okay. Um, They don't just hand it to you. No, uh, uh, nothing. (laughs) Let me be clear about the food industry and CPG. You know, nothing is handed to you. It is... um, it's it's war out there. I'm I'm telling you, it is not easy. There's not a lot of transparency, and really, when you start, you know, 
you can either go direct to a customer. So Publix, for instance, we ship direct to them, right? So they place orders and we can ship to them. But then, you know, if you go through a distributor, you're basically selling to a distributor and the distributor is dropping it off at all these small mom and pop, you know, stores around the country. Uh-huh. How do you measure all of that? Like you don't, it's not like there's sophisticated systems set up in all small to big supermarkets across the system. And they're all uh, different systems. Yeah, they're all different owners. They're all different systems. And so it's a, and you know, think about how big the country is. I mean, it's massive. So, I think, you know, for us, we see what our orders are like. We see what flavors continue to be the highest movers. Um, and we, you know, and we couple that with data that we can, that we see in the industry. What are the, you know, most popular flavors of cookie dough in the industry? Chocolate mm, chunk is mm-hmm. always number one, you know, no <laughs> surprise there. Um, but I was really surprised how popular sugar cookie, for instance, yeah. would be. You know, I didn't, I didn't realize because I'm an adult now and not many adults, you know, are they pick sugar cookie first, but it's a, such a kid favorite, you know, and it's it's such an important, you know, product to kind of have to decorate and make shapes with yes. and have fun with. And um, it's hard to find a good one as well. Right. And isn't this one good? This one, it's so nice and chewy. I mean, I feel like I keep saying everything is <laughs> chewy, but they are. And I always, I, I don't like making sugar cookies because mine are always crispy. And I'm like... This is just such a disappointment. <laughs> well, and and sugar cookie, like most sugar cookies, the conventional sugar cookie is made of white flour and butter mm-hmm. and sugar, right? It was really hard to make a sugar cookie that had no white flour and no butter. Yeah, you know, basically replace everything. Yeah, yeah, replace everything and have it taste better. Go, <laughs> you know, and not easy. It t- took many, many tries. But, um, you know, we've, we've tested a lot of our products on on people, on tons of people. And so, so what's in the sugar cookie? So it's it's really our basic formula. So it's, um, you know, it's, it's oil based, so it's non-dairy, it's, um, it's cane sugar and, um, our oat flour, tapioca, potato starch, you know, combination and, and a really great vanilla and sea salt. And it just makes a really great combination. Well, I also want to talk about pricing before we go into our rapid fire segment. Okay. I think a lot of people have questions on how to price, you know, better quality products because the stuff that they're sourcing is more expensive. Um, the way that they're packaging is more expensive. Like basically everything costs more. And yet there is generally a price cap on what people are willing to pay, even if they are, they have a higher discretionary income. Um, how were you able to kind of suss out the price point? Did you, that change over time? Yeah. So I, I think it's, it's a really important point price point. I think that what I've learned in all of this is there is definitely a cap and um, it depends who you want to be. If you're just selling to specialty supermarkets, there's obviously a higher price point that yeah. people are willing to spend. If you really want to go mass and um, be accessible to almost everyone, which is our goal with Sweet Lawrence, you know, you have to be um, within a certain price point. And I think it's different for each different type of food and product out there. There's, you know, I can't say, um, you know, I think through a lot of testing that we've done, we've seen what we're the range is for us. Is that ever suggested by the retailers or? Yeah, I think um, retailers, I mean, first of all, we're breaking into um, a very conventional category, right? There's a certain cheaper price point that's been set by, you know, the big guys on the shelf. But I mean, I know what, when you use better quality ingredients, there's no way, you know, it's even feasible to have a product or company that's going to be able to be that price point. Plus our customers don't expect that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, our customers really um, appreciate the ingredients we use and we actually save them money. You know, if they were to buy all these ingredients separately right. and make these cookies from scratch, they would spend, I think at least $20 buying the ingredients and a long time <laughs> and a long time and it wouldn't taste as consistent or good probably. But 
so I think that, you know, our goal is definitely to be, uh, you know, offer convenience and an accessible price point, but it's through, it's been through a lot of testing and it is a combination of what the retailer feels it, um, is like the, you know, the high bar of how high it can go and also what makes sense to us as a business. I mean, you know, um, so I think it's been a combination of that and I think that once people love a product and there's, there's value in it, um, you won't really get complaints because they really value you and they, they appreciate you. So I'm grateful that our customers, you know, really appreciate what we've been, what we've done and, and, and know that we're trying our hardest to be as accessible as possible. But at the same time, they know themselves how expensive these ingredients are and that our whole goal is to use high quality ingredients. And so, you know, they, they appreciate that and they're willing to pay for that. Uh, well, in our last few minutes, uh, we always do a rapid fire segment at the end, just random questions about you, so <laughs> our audience gets to know you more. Okay. Um, I always kick it off with the same question: How do you like your eggs in the morning? Over easy. Oh yeah, I'm obviously. <laughs> yes, the best. Obviously, with like delicious um, avocado and maybe some arugula and sliced tomatoes with sea salt and. Maybe some bacon. I don't know from the movie. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, I once had an order when I still worked in restaurants for over hard, and I was like, "What does this mean? No, <laughs> what is this?" The second it gets hard, it's <laughs> no, 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 no. no like you, yeah, you've lost the beauty of <laughs> the know, yolk. I agree. Oh my gosh. Um, if you could have a superpower, what would it be? Probably to fly because I love to travel so much. Not to teleport. No, because well. you have to take the scenic route. Yeah, like I, I would enjoy flying. Yeah, yeah. I look at birds and I get jealous sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> um, what if you could have a regular power, just regular, like, you know, human power? What would it be? And, or a new skill overnight? A new skill overnight. I wish I had, like, a photographic memory. Mm, that's a good one. I haven't heard that one. Ooh, good. Um, what's the best meal you've had under $10? The best meal under $10 would be, has to be a meal. Um, yeah, not a snack. Yeah, not like a little not snack. Not a cookie. Not a bakery. <laughs> um, I'd say the best meal I've had under $10 would be like a delicious bowl of like pho. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I agree. You know? So good. I love it with the mung bean noodles. Oh, um, what is your favorite Sweet Lawrence flavor? Oh, it's like picking a child. I know. Um, I, I had to put it in. <laughs> I really love, um, I think it's a toss up between um, our oatmeal cranberry and our fudgy brownie. Right now. It, yeah, like it changes, but right now I'm like, both of those are amazing. Um, can you tell us uh, where to find you and what to expect next from Sweet Lawrence? So you can find me personally, um, Lauren Brill, um, L-O-R-E-N-B-R-I-L-L, um, you know, on Instagram, Facebook, and Sweet Lawrence at Sweet Lawrence, S-W-E-E-T-L-O-R-E-N-S. Um, on Instagram, Facebook, and you can sign up for our newsletter. Um, we have, have something called the Sweet Club, so it's a special kind of club that we're creating where you're going to get special offers. Um, and you can do that on our website, sweetlaurens.com, S-W-E-E-T-L-O-R-E-N-S. And um, follow along. We have so many exciting things that are happening soon. We're going to be launching in Fresh Direct um, for you, yes. you know, East Coast New Yorkers soon, um, probably September, October, so stay tuned for that. And across the country, um, we have a lot more retailers as well. Well, so new products um, growing and just want to stay in touch. 
Awesome. Well, Lauren, thank you so much for being here today. And thank you for all these wonderful cookies and cookie dough that we'll eat in like three (laughs) seconds once we get off air. Um, Thank you again to our sound engineer, David Tashore, as well as the Red Crickets for our theme song, Blind. Uh, As usual, you can find us at Why Food Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. And if you have questions, nominations for people that you want to hear, please email us whyfood at heritageradionetwork.org. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. All the time.